Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. You can connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by my own personal Jimmy Greenbeans, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, I'm great, Gerald. I don't... Please enlighten me. What is a Jimmy Greenbeans? Jimmy Greenbeans is the name that Brent Venables is using to run scout team plays as Joe Burrow for the Clemson defense. I somehow missed that. I don't know how I did because that's wonderful. Um, That's almost as good as Ron Mexico, which I'll let the the listeners Google that one or uh, whatever uh, Lane Kiffin's uh, nom de plume. Uh, was that he checks in under man Jimmy Greenbeans? That's fantastic. Was it Lane Kiffin's also like it was it like Jimmy Freshwater? Was yeah, it, was jo- Joey what, Joey Freshwater. What, Joey Freshwater. Yeah. Okay, what's up with the J names for coaches? Uh, I don't know. It's it's good though. It's real good having Joey Freshwater. I mean, we could talk a little bit about SEC coaching hires because Mike Leach versus uh, Joey Freshwater, the Pirate. Versus the fresh water is the new battle for the Mississippi uh, Golden Egg. So, oh man, it's it's the best thing about that otherwise overrated conference going on right now. So news broke on Monday that Texas had found its new cornerbacks coach replacing Jason Washington. Jay Valai, former cornerbacks coach at Rutgers under new defensive coordinator Chris Ash taking over. He also spent uh, one year with the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL as kind of a quality control guy. He also spent a couple of years with Georgia in that same role. He recruited briefly for Georgia uh, when they made some staff changes. He also... Dallas Fort Worth guy spent three years as a football skills trainer, uh, running his own business, kind of training athletes in South Lake, Texas. So as Washington is on his way out and Valai is on his way in, what I want to know from you, Kyle, is what do you expect to see from a new cornerbacks coach who's replacing a guy like Washington, who is a recruiting mainstay for Texas and kind of brought in a lot of talent for the Longhorns over the last few years? Well, again, Coach Washington, I hate to see him leave, um, did a fantastic job recruiting. Let's not forget Texas had, you know, by most measures, the best recruiting class a couple years ago in, in the defensive backfield in, in, like, college football history, or at least certainly in, in the modern era. So, um, you know, you, you can't let that go unnoticed. You hope that um, with his kind of um, ties with uh, with – the both uh, Big Ten as well as SEC and kind of doing some big time recruiting um, that that's the part of his game where um, Coach Valai comes in and and uh, kind of hopefully continues the thread where Washington was um, from everything that I've heard and I and I can't sit here and speculate is that he's well respected also just as a pure coach um, and and I think you know youth injuries inexperience that has been the the running knock on the cornerbacks um i mean after uh you lost Devonte davis and, and uh holton hill and chris boyd who are all senior um and you know had you know, their own issues at times sometimes but at least you know you knew what you were getting it's basically been a little bit of a an uneven road so so the hope that there's a new coach coming in but a little bit more experience not 
purely green behind the ears, all returning players um, from last year and blooding in some new ones. Um, you really hope that the you know the cupboard certainly is is rich that um, that he can he can kind of translate that a little bit and you can you can see a step up even and again I'm not one to slander I'd like coach Washington a lot but let's you always hope the the next guy in is an even better coach than the last guy right so you know maybe um bringing some of what he brings in his past he can he can really give some some good personal one-on-one coaching and we can even see the next step up as these these really talented cornerbacks start to mature yeah and I think that's that's the thing I really want to see and I, I hope to expect to see from him as somebody who's got a background and kind of personal personal player development is, is seeing some of these young corners uh, develop. And, and I think the recruiting thing is a little overstated in a lot of ways. Now, granted, you need you need to have knockout recruiters on the staff, but the University of Texas almost sells itself in a lot of ways. You have to sell players on the opportunities at Texas, but it's not really hard to sell Austin, Texas. Now you do see some people go sideways. You see guys who are from Ohio decide to go to Ohio State, even though they're currently living in the backyard of the university. But I think the recruiting thing, it's and not to diminish what Coach Washington did and has done for the University of Texas. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think if people are worried about recruiting, I think you're worried about the wrong thing. Um, you do need to look at what is the player development going to look like under under Valai. And now that being said. He coached under Ash for a year at Rutgers. Ash is a defensive backs coach by nature. So he's not going to bring somebody along that he doesn't think can get the job done, especially with the high level of talent that currently exists at Texas. Yeah, I think I think you 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 nailed it and I think exactly like you said, Joe, we, we will we will wait and see how that plays out. I think, you know, it is it is every right to be optimistic with some of the things, but we have to play a little game of wait and see. But Gerald, I just wanted to check real quick. Um how how brushed up are you on your your, you know, proto Slavic uh languages, your your Indo European languages? Uh I would say my knowledge is lacking. Okay. Um because, you know, according in, in Lithuanian, I believe, according to um, wiktionary.org, which obviously is a 100% uh, reliable source. The etymology is from the Proto-Indo-European Ul, the tail cognate with Ulos, um, the Sanskrit. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to skip, but basically the word Valai, um, stress pattern four, which I think I nailed it, uh, means the hair of the horse's tail, which I really think honestly tells you everything you need to know about this hire. Absolutely. He's definitely going to be a workhorse for Texas on the recruiting trail. (laughs) On the offensive side of the ball, Texas has found its new wide receivers coach, Andre Coleman, who was promoted to the interim role uh, after Texas shook up its staff after the regular season. He coached the wide receivers for the bowl game. He will be promoted. He will be dropping the interim title and becoming a full wide receivers coach. Now, Coleman is not a uh, not a stranger to Big 12 offenses and coaching wide receivers in the Big 12. He spent several years w- coaching wide receivers and was the offensive coordinator under uh, Bill Snyder at Kansas State before that staff changed. And when he was on the market, Tom Herman snatched him up. He's a guy that's really well-liked by the players, by the parents, and by uh, people in the industry. He's got a lot of deep ties as well. And so he's a guy that could definitely bring a lot of continuity to a wide receiver room that probably needs some, especially as Texas is looking to implement a new offense. Yeah, and I mean, I remember when we got him, it was like, a, oh, thank goodness he can tell us something about what's going on in, in the water up there. And 
and Manhattan um, because, you know, they, they somehow string together an offense out of, you know, spare uh, TI-85 parts and, uh, and some chicken wire. But, uh, but yeah, he, he, he's been able to be a part of some good offenses there. And it seemed like, you know, when he got hired here, he's really taken to the team. I saw a couple of videos with Colin Johnson breaking down footwork and film uh, with him. So he's been um, a hands-on kind of, uh, coach in the video room and stuff like that. So I do think that, uh, I do think that he has, uh, he has a good eye. He has the respect of the players. And like you said, the parents, that's, I mean, that's good enough for me if he ends up being the, the, the coach and it's liked, I mean, this will be the point where you get, um, bumped up and now all of a sudden you are the, um, you know, the face of going out and selling the program to recruits. Like we talked about with the cornerbacks coach. Um, it will be interesting as he takes on more, I presume of those, uh, efforts. Especially after what we heard about Maringer on the way out and some of the things that reportedly were happening and why players like took random sabbaticals and things like that. Uh, it's good that a, a guy who's got the respect of the parents and coaches and the players is, is in there. And I think he's a steadying hand with an offensive unit that's probably going to need some of that. Uh, he, Herb Hand, uh, and hopefully... Fingers crossed, Stan Drayton will be able to uh, bring a ton of continuity to that group as they look to install what should be an offense that looks a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I think that's that's just a little bit of the, the kind of inside baseball there of how that works is you are very close with your position coach, obviously. But I mean, I, I still know my parents have kept in touch with my brother's college uh, wide receivers coach, Coach Bush. So, I mean, it, it, it matters. This stuff does matter. I mean, the familial aspect isn't all um, a, a you know Twitter campaign. It, it really does matter. So I, I think that's a that's a really good point. So we'll again keep you as up to date as we can on these coaching updates. That was a terrible sentence, but we're going to let it rock anyways. Uh, the coaching world is in flux with a few weeks left until signing day two. Texas getting out offers to guys that hopefully will jive with these new coaches. So, unfortunately, we have to talk about men's basketball. Uh, I don't know. I, I We'll talk about it in just a minute. So, uh, Texas came out, trailed at one by ha- at halftime against Oklahoma, and then just absolutely crapped the bed in the second half to lose by 10 to the Sooners. Now, thankfully, they were able to get things back on the, on the, the right side of the ledger and beat Kansas State by 14, had a 19-point lead at one point. Got to talk and start with Oklahoma because Oklahoma is actually competent at basketball. So, Texas went 3 of 16 from three-point land in the second half, 27% from the game. Uh, only found the free throw line seven times for the entire contest. Andrew Jones was an abysmal 2 of 9. Jericho Sims kind of was the only bright spot. He had 12 points and 15 boards. Like this game against OU, Kyle was nothing short of embarrassing and kind of shows you why Texas was 10 and 2 going into conference play and unranked. This was tough. This was actually almost tougher for me than the the Baylor game um, for a, a few reasons. Um, Baylor obviously is very good. I think they, you know, if you if you look at the top tier, middle tier, bottom tier of the conference, right, I think um, Baylor is squarely in that top tier, and it may just be them. Uh, in Kansas, we can see what West Virginia ends up being, but um, they, they are certainly in that top. And then there's that middle tier somewhere where it's upper middle class, lower middle class, whatever, Texas – kind of finds himself in there and maybe in the lower half right now. Um, but OU should be around the same place, you would think, from the beginning of the season. So, I mean, when you look at how do you get your wins, enough wins to get into the tournament, basically, um, at home 
against, no matter if it's a rival, take that out of it, but the type of caliber of team that OU should be, these are games you have to win, or, or rather, you can't lose. I mean, you, this means now they're going to have to go and, and get a you know get a tough win on the road to, to get this one back to keep on track, where they probably need something like, I don't know, let's say nine conference wins somewhere in there, that number. This should have been, or very, very much could have been, you would think, one of those if they're going to get there. And if not... I mean, you're looking at a potential repeat NIT championship performance, you know? So uh, <laughs> if that's, if that's you know, we joke about it, but if that is the standard we want to be at, then then that's that's kind of where it is. It, it, this was just a tough, a, a tough game. Uh, it looked bad. I love Andrew Jones. We spent hours waxing poetic uh, about the kid, but this was one of his worst games on the 40 acres. They, they abused him on the defensive end, not to mention just he looked, you know, like uh, along came Polly, what was his name? Philip Seymour Hoffman, where he just chucked up the ball and shouted raindrops. Um, let it rain, but uh, yeah, it was it was not good from him. Um, I, I will say they rebounded better. They they came back from the Baylor game, which was abysmal, and I put a lot of that on the back of Jericho Sims, who's probably our best player right now. I uh, I would drop the probably off of that, but that's fine. So Texas rebounded, got a win that they absolutely had to, a loss here. Uh, I wouldn't have let Shaka back into the locker room if they lost this one. So Texas led Kansas State by four at halftime. They opened up a 19-point lead and finished with a 64-50 to 50 win. Coleman led the way with 14 points. Uh Courtney Ramey, 11 points, 8 boards. Our boy Jace Fabress led the team in blocks. In addition to his 10 points, he had 4 blocks, 2 of 5 from 3-point range. So this is one that you absolutely have to have as Texas. If you lose this one again, you can basically pack it in because you're not going to win very many in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I, I've made no doubt. I think maybe on this podcast, it certainly folks talk to me. I'm a big fan of of. European and specifically English soccer and Manchester United has a manager who's on the hot seat and I, I there's something I love about that that's obviously professional but they came out and said they had a match this weekend and said yeah if he doesn't win he's fired <laughs> which I, I just kind of love the bluntness of it but that was kind of what Shaka was up against um Kansas State had issues with their plane they arrived three hours before the game if they lost this game um Shaka may have just, you know, left with them, like find somewhere else, you know, it it was kind of that dire and I'm not a Shaka's on the hot seat every week. I'm trying to justify his job for the past four years, like some people have been. Um, But, but I do think there is a put up or shut up period and we're getting probably to some, some point of critical mass. We'll see how the second half of this season plays out. But, uh, but yeah, this was a must must win and they did it by you know by moving the ball pretty well and shooting the ball really well they actually shot well from deep Febris was two of five uh, I believe Ramey was three of five um, Coleman was two of five up to 44 percent now on the season they they you know shot threes and played good defense guys it's it's really shouldn't be that tough that's that's how the modern game works yeah like we talked about it early in the season when Texas looked like they were in a steaming pile, but like you, you win with the basics, you win with the fundamentals. And I think against Kansas state, they're able to execute on a lot of that where they were just getting the rebounds. They needed to, again, I think back to Oklahoma or the Oklahoma game. I was like, how, how are they getting so abused? And so their ability to finally, I think establish themselves 
you know, in the in the in the painted area and on the boards, I think it's really really impressive. And, and you win basketball games by making the extra pass. Ninety nine times out of hundred, making the extra pass is the right move. And so I think that's what we saw against Kansas State. And if they can do more of that, now I'm not going to say they're going to win the conference because well they have Kansas in two games, but there is a, an opportunity for them to win some games and make the the big tournament, not the one that we were mockingly celebrating last year. Correct. And, and I, I talked about, you know, uh, shooting the threes. Did you see that Will Baker made a three-pointer, Gerald? Um, he banked it in. I didn't hear him call uh, glass. But nonetheless, uh, Will Baker, the five-star recruit, um, is, is off the snide. Gerald, a little bit of trivia here. Uh, do you know Will Baker's three-point percentage on the year now that he has that make? Um... 12%. Oh, he's all the way up to 5.88% with that make on the season. Uh, it's up from zero. So that's something uh, something sad, but something. But on a happier note, Gerald, this was a big, I guess, milestone win for the basketball program. Do you know what win number they reached, which, uh, which threshold they, they crossed? I have zero clue, but I want to say a billion. Correct. All right. So we're moving on now. 1,800, though. That's still a, a ton. Um, you know, these aren't NBA 82-game seasons. So that's uh, that's a lot of wins for the program. A big number. I'm sure 2,000 will be, uh, you know, another 45 years. No, I kid. But a few years away. But, uh, yeah. but yeah. So a couple, you know, let's let's have some when, when, when life uh, gives you a reprieve from the darkness. Let's celebrate a little bit of light um, as they look forward to uh, the schedule coming up. They, they may need to enjoy it while they got it. So enjoy it while you got it because Texas needed that win. They're heading to Stillwater. Oklahoma State's not very good, but come back after that. They come back home and they're going to host Kansas in front of dozens of fans. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how Texas can round out the month of January. Yeah, I think the Oklahoma State is a similar program. They started 8-0 and then lost to uh, Georgetown, which, if that sounds familiar to anyone, um, <clears throat> but they've lost six of their last eight, only averaging under 44 points in Big 12 play. But they have a guy, Cameron his name should be Crime Dog McGriff, um, who is an athletic small forward who does all the things that the Texas defense hasn't been able to stop this year. So I am a little worried. But, hey, if they can get that one and have a two-game winning streak, that'd be nice because the the Kansas one, Kansas one could be tough. But we're at the halfway point, Gerald. So looking forward, fingers crossed. Absolutely. So we'll find out more uh, this week. We'll, we'll, they'll take on, again, Oklahoma State on the road and then Kansas at home. So that brings us to the part of the show where we give some shine to the programs that don't necessarily get as much love as they should, and we down the 40. So we'll keep and stick to the hardwood, but the ladies took care of business on the road against Iowa State and then lost an absolute nail-biter against West Virginia. They actually surrendered a fourth-quarter lead. Uh, West Virginia got into the bonus early and kind of abused that to to generate some offense, Uh, but there's a... There's a log jam that's emerging right below West Virginia. West Virginia is 3-0 at the top of the conference. But then right there, basically the next like five, six spots are teams that are like 2-1 and one and 1-2. One and two. And Texas, based on how they played against Iowa State and West Virginia, if they could put it together, can be one of that kind of second 
that that top of the second tier of teams in the conference. Yeah, West Virginia is really good. They I think they've only lost once this year. Um, they're they're a top twenty team. I think that number after the Texas win will probably move up to being like a you know fourteen fifteen range. You know, so it's not a it's not a a bad loss, but it does hurt that we've we've had to say this twice that ah they were so close against a really good team after um, putting a couple good wins together and kind of had a hot streak. They've lost a couple heartbreakers at the end uh, in some close games against the better teams. But I think you're right. There's no doubt that they are in that upper tier. Um, it's just it's just getting over that hump um, has has been tough. So I mean, it, there's still a lot. Like Big Twelve just started. They will play all of these teams uh, again, and um, they will have a, a, redemp- a redemption chance. But I think certainly um, they they you know they have a chance to do something in this season. I, I'm I'm certainly not uh, writing them off yet. Not at all. I think the Big Twelve is fairly not I want to say wide open but there's there's definitely a lot of of teams that can uh, jump up and win some games that they're probably not expected to the winter slash spring tennis season finally started. What everybody comes to this podcast for. Number two men's tennis uh, at the Miami Invitational did what they do. Won six of nine matches in singles, three out of four in doubles. Probably the most notable is number 13, Christian Sigsgaard, uh, defeated number 23, or number 63, excuse me, uh, Adria Soriano Berea, three names. Uh, lost the first set two to six and then won back to back six four, six for they're traveling to Florida this week to take on the only team with a smaller number next to their name, the Gators. Guys, if you have heard of must-watch, must-see tennis, uh, and, and it doesn't involve Agassi or Sampras, and I say that with no jest to the, the wonderful team, but this is probably it. Like, if you're looking for the biggest UT uh, sporting game with the most for its particular respective sport on the line, I don't think you're going to find anything bigger in the next couple months than number one Florida versus number two Texas. So, uh, uh, at, at Florida, like you said, so um, tune in. I bet it's on the Longhorn Network. We should uh, we should all watch that and tweet about it. Absolutely, I I probably will. Uh, the women's tennis at the Pink Flamingo Invitational in Nassau, Bahamas, which is just a great name. Uh, they won exactly half of the singles matches, one of three of the doubles matches. Uh, again, most notably, probably number four nationally ranked Anna Tarati defeated number 96, Victoria Emma, and number 43, uh, Lexi Rylinger uh, defeated Ida, Ida Jariskog, I'm going to go with. That's a tough name, but the women uh, try to pick back up where they were. Uh, They're off until January 24th where they're going to host Iowa at home. Yeah, Lady Sinus also looking like a, a very formidable side. Softball. The season's right around the corner, Kyle. We're mm-hmm. like three weeks out. Uh, softball picked up second in the Big 12 preseason coaches poll uh, on Unfortunately and understandably, OU took number one. Their season's going to start February 2nd against Wichita State. And then let's see if I can get this out there. The USTFCCCA, so the U.S. Track and Field Cross Country Coaches Association, uh, the preseason rankings came out for track season, which is also, again, as soon as the weather warms up. Men and women's track both come in at number four nationally. Yeah, I want that U.S. TFCCSA on a on a on a jacket like a nice windbreaker where it starts over the navel and then goes all the way around under the armpit because it's such a ridiculously long abbreviation. But nonetheless, yeah, one of two teams uh, in the country with men's and women's both uh, in the the top five. So congrats to um, Coach uh, Florial there, who's who's expected and promised and hoped for big things for this team. They uh, they 
they finished pretty well, but wanted a little more from the indoor season. So, uh, so yes, yeah, season right around the corner here in Houston, um, beginning at the the Hilton Invitational. So, uh, big things hopefully for the for the uh, track and field. So here's hoping again. I love when Texas track and field is really good. You and I uh, were there the days of like Marsha Vet Hooker uh, doing big things on on the uh, on the track. So now is a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle. What are you banging the drum on this week, Gerald? I'm banging the drum on the the same thing I angrily texted you about a few days ago for the uh, the, the listeners again, just to get a little uh, inside baseball here. We we often, um, you know, we'll we we love the University of Texas. The things that upset you, listeners, probably upset us. And one of those this week, I believe, for the second time this year, was ESPN in the in the spirit of 150 years has decided to do some ranking, and uh, I don't know. Who these old idiots are that are that are ranking, but uh, they continue to get it relatively wrong. And I will say this, but my my caveat: they got a couple things really right. I love seeing Tommy Novus uh, just outside the top fifty. Could have maybe been a couple spots higher, but getting the rep, you know, the uh, position in there and the the representation on this list that he truly deserves and an all time great. Uh, Ricky Williams came in at number fifty seven. Novus uh, was at fifty four, if I didn't say. Uh, Ricky Williams at fifty seven, and then Bobby Lane, a guy who people forget when we talk about all time great. Texas quarterbacks, of course, with Colt um, and and uh, Ellinger and Vince and Sims and Applewhite, that Bobby Lane, uh, for his era, adjusted is as good as just about any of them. Um, and, and he came in at number 75. So that, that was all great. But right after him at number 75 was a quarterback named Tim Tebow uh, at number 76, which, uh, you know, fine, I guess. Except that five spots even lower was Vince Young. Now, I truly don't know how to like quantify because I've had many conversations with many people from many different backgrounds and fandoms and pure journalists who, you know, don't cheer in the press box. Um, who, who, who I've never had a conversation with someone that they didn't say, yeah, Vince Young is certainly one of those people you put in the, the conversation for greatest college football player of all time. You could really be like, nah, I think, you know, in this era, whatever, whatever, I'm putting him all the way down at 10, right? Okay, great. You can you want to put him at fifteen? I think you're an idiot, but but you know more power to you. Not having him in this soon to be announced. They're announcing the top twenty five. I believe the top twelve to one, which is where he should be at halftime of the the championship game. Not having Vince in that conversation is utterly ridiculous. Like, what more does the guy have to do? Um, put up one of the greatest games of all time in the biggest stage. Like, yeah, Joe Burrow annihilated Oklahoma, and it was one of the best performances I've ever seen, but it wasn't the actual national championship game. If he, you know, um, can do that two in a row, okay, sure. But Vince Young did it on the biggest stage. He did it uh, against the greatest team ever. Maybe that's why ESPN salty, because they are the ones who labeled that USC team as such. Um, he, he did it against, you know, offense that couldn't be stopped. He was the better Offense that couldn't be stopped against Leinart and Bush, etc., etc., etc. I just I think it's kind of crazy because Vince Young has had a a, a less than stellar post college just kind of experience, right? When you dream the picture book, uh, play in Super Bowls in that career, and he's had some personal struggles, etc. 
But nonetheless, you cannot go back and retroactively take this away from him. Vince Young is one of the greatest college football players of all time. When you make your list, not just of quarterback, but of players, he's in that every person you know has to have at least this guy on their list in that group of let's say ten or fifteen. Like I, I was actually like livid when I saw that. Obviously, I don't let lists dictate my life. It, it, it wore off a little bit, but uh, it's just still it's just silly. It's just dumb. Um, and, uh, you know, Longhorn Network, aren't you a part of ESPN? Fix it. Fix it. Flex your muscles. Fix it. I'm not as full of hatred as Kyle is uh, toward this. Now, I love Vincent Paul Young as much as the next man. 81 is super low. 81 is super de duper low. A top top 12 may be reaching just a little bit, but I think definitely, definitely bottom, like, he is officially in the bottom half of this list, which I feel like is definitely too low. Like below 75, but he's not granted top 150 college football players of all time. is still a pretty prestigious thing, but the bottom half of those seems a little low for me. So I'm, I'm banging the drum this week on the Texas offensive line. So pro football focus, uh, they have their obviously college site and they do analytics and all that. And they ranked all of the returning offensive line next year. And and Texas came in as the 29th best returning offensive line next year, which isn't a great number. That's not great. They've got a lot of unproven guys. Probably they're going to fill in some of those spots. And so I'm looking at the guys that are going to anchor that line on either side, kind of the bookends. And Sam Cosby and Derek Kerstetter, based upon their rankings, will be two of the top three rated offensive tackles returning to the conference. And at a at an important position like tackle, as they replace, I think probably their rankings a little low because they're going to have to replace a center that's been a several year starter. So I think as you look at the bookends of that unit, like that's a good place to start from, especially when you've got a guy like um, Junior Angulao that's going to slot in again to be a four year starter, which I love to see. Uh, we again we don't know necessarily who's going to be the center. Got a couple of different options there, but with Three guys basically guaranteed an offensive line starting spot, and two of them being the top three offensive linemen or offensive tackles returning to the conference. That's a good starting spot for a successful offense in 2020. Yeah, I mean, you you build with the big guys. You build with the big building blocks, and uh, I think you're exactly right that the the loss of Shackelford is probably why that number, I bet someone looked at that and said, ooh, they got those tackles, and then they kind of slotted them. Like when you build these lists somewhere around the – 12 to 15 18 and they said "Ooh, but they're losing the center all right bump them down another 10 I, and i get it it's a it's a tough exercise but uh i, I do think that that this this number and this this group with uh the type of talent they have that they've been able to coach up redshirt not throw right into the fire uh we should hopefully start seeing some of that payoff next year and again they don't have to go out and get a grad transfer parker braun you know no no shots fired at him um but was you know probably not as good as Calvin Anderson was in his one-year stay, but you really don't want this pattern where you keep having to do one-years. That shows growth in the unit. And 29, again, is nothing to to shake a stick at. Um, I think they, they could be even better, but at least it's not starting uh, where probably, you know, some of the units in the past five years have been uh, 50 to 60 to 70 places below that, which is unacceptable. So um, it is a sign, a sign of growth, the sign of times getting better, but let's hope that that number keeps getting smaller every year. The, the cupboard is quite stocked 
for Texas because they've been able to redshirt a ton of young offensive linemen. And so the the fact that there's a lot of guys in the hopper for Herb Hand to use, like this is a good starting point for me, and I'm very, very happy to see it. So we'll find out again. Spring practice uh, is still several months away, unfortunately. Not several. I guess it's more than two. So more than two is several in my <laughs> book. So it's several months away. Uh, but we'll be back, and we'll talk about them, obviously, as we get these new guys on campus, the early enrollees, uh, and we will obviously we never stop talking football. But that's all we've got for you for this episode. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carp- Carpenter. You can uh, find the Texas Pregamer as well at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, thank you so much for tuning in again. We'll see you back here on Thursday when we will know whether or not we won the Aggie National Championship. And until then, hook him. Hook him, Jimmy Greenbeans. Beans.